Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Quinn. And this is the Monstrous Woman Podcast. Fortnightly, we take an in-depth look at a woman or feminine monster who has fallen victim to the monstrous woman trope. We discuss their representation in different media, the real-world implications, and what we would change. The idea of this podcast comes from the monstrous feminine theory by Barbara Creed. This theory gives us a lens to look through when considering why femininity is so often painted as monstrous. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Yes, thank you all for joining us again as we discuss Ms. Molly Weasley. I think it's Mrs. if we're using her married name, but whatever. <laughs> People have a That's lot true. of feelings always, about this character. <laughs> yeah, I always opt for the, the neutral MS, but that's true. It's, it's very much Mrs. Weasley in the books. Oh, wow. Why did I just, like, blank on what her maiden name was? It started with a P. Percival? Whatever. Something like that. No. Oh, God. Pruitt? It was... Pruitt! <laughs> yes, I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. Good job. We're winning so. Harry Potter trivia. <laughs> Against ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but people have a lot of feelings about this wonderful character, Molly Pruitt Weasley. <laughs> and as do we. And we're going to spend some time unpacking all of those feelings. Yes. So Molly is one of the only maternal figures in these books. Well, one of the only ones that is alive. And so there is a lot of emotional labor and responsibility put on her. <laughs> labor. We see her feed the house of her own family, uh, plenty of additions that they take in, and eventually a small army. Some would say it's not so small. Yeah, I mean, a, I feel like a good-sized army if it's operating out of your living room. Mm-hmm. At least a militia. Oh, for sure a militia. That's actually the perfect word. Um, <laughs> so before before we unpack all of this... We're going to start on a lighter note. And Quinn, if you were an adult in the wizarding world, what profession would you choose? This is so hard because I'm an adult in the real world and I don't know what profession I should choose. And, And also, I always disagreed with what jobs they were put for like given as options in the harry potter series like when he does do that career fair thing it's all government Mm -hmm. jobs it seems it's like no one's like i'm gonna be the magical ice cream store owner i'm going to make delicious new flavors and stuff like that there's no creative jobs it's all like i'm gonna be a wizard cop i'm gonna be a wizard muggle cop i'm gonna be a secret wizard cop like they were all different versions of secret wizard cop it seems like true and you know what a cap applies to the wizarding world wait what oh yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you're gonna take like the weasley Uh, twin route 
Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, like, just, like, off-branch and do my own thing. But also, that's what Tom Riddle did. And look where that took him. He did his own thing with the wizarding antiquities and went evil. That's true. Also, the other wizarding antiquities guy is Borgen and Burke and whatever. And they're also evil. Why is antiquities in this world evil? Because that was what I was leaning towards. (laughs) Yeah, I guess there's really not, like, a good vintage shop, is there? It's all dark artifacts. I mean, you could, like, definitely go your own path without, like, murdering people and splitting your soul into several pieces. But I, I do see your your fears there, because that does seem a common problem for them. Yeah. For entrepreneurs. So maybe I'll, like, go to wizarding graduate school to learn all about these cursed objects and stuff. But instead of going to the wizard bank... I'm going to open up my wizard vintage shop (laughs) and have a good version of Borgen and Burks. (laughs) That's a really cute idea. So you'll get like the same training as Bill Weasley, but you'll just use it in the like private sphere. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then it comes to the complicated of reposit, like... (laughs) Re, uh, what am I got? Oh gosh. Oh my god, why did I just go blank? This is like a, like a daily word for me. Returning, that's not the word I was looking for. Returning objects to the goblin people and other, other wizarding, like, magical creatures that the wizard, wizarding world stole their objects from. So, goblin metal, go back. <laughs> Oh, that's true. Yeah, you definitely have a lot of ethical dilemmas. But you could be, like, the cool antique shop owner who, like, returns things to goblins and, like... Yeah. Ac- I don't know. Actually, reparations, you know? Uh-huh. One, one yeah, goblin Yeah, that's what I was looking time. for. Reparations. Oh, okay. Well, we found it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Megan? I have my little antique shop. What about you? <laughs> I mean, initially my thoughts are professor, because long term in my personal life, my non-podcasting life, I would like to be a a professor, but I want to be a college professor because I don't like children. And I really mean that. (laughs) A lot of people like think it's a joke. I don't like children. Children don't like me. We don't get each other. Never been good with children. (laughs) People tell me I'm going to grow out of it. I've been around for two decades. Nothing's gotten better. I don't think that's true. (laughs) Um, Yeah. They're kind of gross. They slop. Whatever. This is not... I'm not trying to be, like, anti-child. But um, (laughs) they're not my favorite thing to be around. Um, And so I don't think I would actually want to be a Hogwarts professor. And they don't seem to have a lot of higher education. It seems like just job training. But I'm thinking I become a Hogwarts librarian... And then I don't have to deal with all the children. I just have to deal with the children that would put the time into coming to study at the library. And I think I would like those children. And I love books. I love this for you because I was thinking about becoming the Hogwarts librarian. But now with my vintage shop, I can come to you for research questions. And I enjoy that. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, exactly. I could be such a help to the general community. I could make it more of a public library, you know, where, like, non-students can come visit. 
Because mm-hmm. we never get any indication that there is a public library. And obviously textbooks are really... I would also like to start some sort of program where, where families that can't afford textbooks like can just borrow them for the semester from the library. Maybe talk to Dumbledore about how inaccessible his school is. Ooh, it what if you have like a loan, loaning thing through the flu, flu network? So you just like throw a book yeah. through the fireplace and it lands in someone's house. That would be great. And maybe like, like we could connect with the other wizarding schools and exchange knowledge through the flu network as well and get like like you know because i'm sure um i'm sure that durmstrang and uh, what's the french one bobaton (laughs) bobaton yeah i'm sure that they have knowledge that we don't you know about pastry making and staying warm and other things that they do. Well, even just so, like about Grindelwald, if if Hermione had access to books about Grindelwald, this whole thing would have been solved a lot quicker. <laughs> okay, but if Hermione had access to information about Grindelwald, she would have known about Dumbledore's scandal. While <gasps> she under would his, have. She would um, have made it, put it all party. together. That would be, okay, petition for that AU fanfiction. Somebody write it. <laughs> <laughs> it has to like start with the librarian get, gets these interlibrary loans. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, that sounds amazing. <laughs> okay. I love uh, this. This was for a fun question. Selves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now, do you want to like delve it. into the like bad depiction of Molly Weasley? <laughs> yes. It is so bad. Let's let's jump in. So this week, we're not going to read specific excerpts from the books like we've been doing. And as in been doing, you've only heard one episode. But we're not going to do that this week because there's so much ground to cover. So instead, we have compiled sort of a top seven list of the worst things that J.K. Rowling did to Molly. Yeah, probably more. But yeah. <laughs> What a book. Uh-huh. Yeah, Molly is fairly prominent character throughout all seven books, so we have a lot more ground to cover with her, which is also exciting. Because we love it. Yeah. We're so let's go over some of these controversial Molly moments. Uh, starting in book one, Molly helps Harry onto the Hogwarts Express and ensures Ron shares a compartment with baby Harry on the way to school. But once in the compartment, Ron unwraps some sandwiches that his mother had packed him. And because the Weasleys don't have a lot of extra money to spend on snacks, she went ahead and sent her kids to the train with food. But Ron complains that he does not like this type of sandwich. I'm pretty sure it was corned beef. And that his mother always forgets about him and never remembers that he doesn't like this type of sandwich, implying that Molly often forgets things like this. And also in this scene, she mixed up the twins, but also they mixed up themselves. It's fr- and also yeah, as a kid, as like his a parents packed their lunch a lot. As a like, I should say, almost every day, every day, elementary school, nearly through high school, I I mixed in a few times, but they my dad packed my lunch my dad is like a really good cook and he would be like all right so today you are having a noodle dish with capers and uh, sun-dried tomatoes and like like he would like he was like that weird like mom with a bento box 
in the 90s. Um, <laughs> and, like, it is so rude to bring it back. You know, like, oh, dad, sorry, I didn't like the sandwich that you put made for me because there's like the wasabi mayonnaise that you put on is just a little too much. Like, you, like, no, it's so rude. <laughs> Throw it away at school. Don't say anything. Don't bad talk it in front of the kid who literally doesn't have a parent to pack them a lunch and they woke up the morning having to make bacon for their aunt and uncle. Like, don't complain about that to them. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's so insensitive. In this, Bad introduction yeah. I mean, to Ron. Uh, oh, yeah. It sets up the tone for his character, unfortunately, well, because I continue to hate him throughout the seven books. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But also, Molly Weasley has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven children. You yeah. can't pack a lunch and have one of them not dislike it. Like, I'm sorry that it was your turn, mm-hmm. Ron, but when she makes you guys bacon sandwiches, I'm sure Fred doesn't like it. And when she makes ham sandwiches, Ginny probably doesn't like it. And so on and so forth. Because you are children. And also, yeah. your preferences probably change every week, and she can't necessarily keep up with that. Yep. And also, who doesn't like a good corned beef sandwich? I... When I studied abroad in England, I would have killed for a corned beef sandwich. I literally, when I, when I was getting picked up from the airport in Chicago, my parents were like, what do you want for lunch after the plane ride? And I was like, get me a corned beef sandwich. I was literally in tears wanting one. How is he turning it down? I, mm. That's so funny. Ron. I I have never had a corned beef sandwich. <gasps> oh my god. Okay, there's a restaurant in Chicago, Manny's. When you come, when we like when you come visit me, I will take you there. And they have like, mwah, you'll die. It's like this. Oh, it's okay. do- it's amazing. Additional I'm like piece getting of information. Hungry just thinking about it. I'm a vegetarian. Well, okay. (laughs) This really hurts. Well, you'll like, I don't know. It'll upset you that you can't eat it. I don't know what to tell you. I'd like to know what one looks like. You can't eat anything at this restaurant. (laughs) Oh, it's... (laughs) I've never Um, never knowingly been around one. Um, Have you seen a Reuben? Yes. It's very much like a Reuben. Okay. But the bread's a little different, and the meat's just a little bit different, but it's basically the same. It's, it's still the best. And you, like, dip it in some matzo ball soup. Perfect. Whatever. We're on a really bad side tangent about Molly's great sandwiches. In book two, <laughs> when Ron and the twins steal their dad's illegal flying car... To rescue Harry from the Dursleys, Molly catches them, and while she lets Harry go up and rest, or while she lets Harry go up and rest, she insists that the boys denome the garden as punishment for sneaking out. And of course, Harry joins them in denoming because Harry's a weirdo. Uh, in book two, she also is shown fangirling over Gilroy Lockhart as well as. 
Celestia Warbeck in the later book. And she is hardcore shamed for it. And I'm not here for it. Stop shaming mothers for enjoying things. It's just misogyny. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just a good dose of misogyny. Um, In book four, we see Molly slight Hermione by giving her a small Easter egg, whereas everyone else gets these, like, giant homemade Easter eggs because she believes Rita Skeeter's rumors that she broke Harry's heart. Yeah, and her, like, um, affection, or not affection, is not the right word, but her... Yeah, sure. Her affection for Rita Skeeter's work is also sort of grouped in with that gross thing that mom likes with Gilderoy Lockhart and Celestia Warbeck. It's like a thing for, you know, the women who read romance novels and the watch the soaps and stuff. They believe the gossip. And it's very oh, yeah. annoying that she falls into this trope. Well, that J.K. Rowling put her into this trope. So in book five, yeah, yeah. So in book five, Molly and Sirius continually fight over whether Harry should be treated as a child or as an adult. And the book tells us that she's overstepping her boundaries as she isn't really Harry's guardian, despite all the time that she spent raising him. So much more time than serious. Sorry, bud. Yeah. And she never confuses Harry with her um, dead best friend, who's also Harry's father. And that just feels like a one-up for me on the parenting front. Um, yeah. When we're looking and at Harry is 15? Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. She Which is, is not, not an adult at all. She is... An adult in this situation reacting to another adult putting a child in a dangerous situation. Yep. Whatever. So, we'll get into all of this. <laughs> we will. There are more controversial moments involving Molly throughout the um, books, but these were the ones we wanted to refresh the audience on before we jump into the um, discussion. I also just want to kind of say, so a lot of this series, J.K. Rowling is transphobic. We know that so clearly, and that shows up in her writing in a lot of female villains. That is not necessarily present in today's writing, um, and so we will not be discussing that, but we are going to be talking a lot about the intersection of sexism and classism with Molly. Um, And so, I don't know, I just wanted to give a heads up on that, and like, she definitely kind of goes through different lenses and it's it's a good example of intersectionality unfortunately it's on the negative side of it but of course you can't have anything on the positive side on this podcast it's not what we're about not not with this book series (laughs) that's true it's not we're not optimists (laughs) we're pessimists who sound optimistic Yeah, we have very, like, bubbly voices, but we're talking about the most terrible things. (laughs) And a lot of times we are laughing through it. So, yeah, laugh through the pain. Laugh through it. Laugh so you don't cry. (laughs) So true. Okay. (laughs) So So let's start out with representation as a housewife. Yes. So, 
I really love what you said about um, Molly falling into the woman who reads romance novels trope because that is so accurate I hadn't been able to like articulate it that clearly um but we we've even talked about um how romance novels are like attacked because of misogyny but they're actually like incredibly well written um and have less problems than some other genres not no problems but some less problems um and I think that sort of sums up her being like this like she's a traditional woman in the sense of like a married, like, matronly, acceptable version who, like, minds her business, does the housework, and, like, is completely service-oriented and just has her, like, silly little things that everybody knows is silly, but, like, oh, Molly likes it. It's sort of, like, patronizing and childish. Mm -hmm. She reminds me of, like, the stereotype of the 1980s housewife. So she's not, like, she's not like the, like, she's not like her mom in the 60s. She's not, like that buttoned up i lived in the 60s type thing but she is still very like she took the the lessons from her mom and they're slightly distilled in her and they will be continually distilled in her children but she's still that weird stereotype not the 60s not a modern person but just floating there welcome to the 80s i don't know she doesn't seem yeah i don't know if that because it's not like we've ever we learned that she had a job at any point i don't think she's ever said and even in the weird information that jk has said since about molly's background i don't think she's ever had a job other than being a wife and mother and not that that's a bad thing um, but that's just doesn't seem very modern, even, even, uh, even in the 1900s or before, when women weren't married right away, they would get jobs <laughs> because it's a necessary thing. Um, uh, you need money coming in, and if it's an adult, they need to be earning something if they're not married. And Molly never is given that. So maybe she got married right out of high school, which again, not a bad thing, but I would love to know that for sure. And I'll, yeah. Yeah. And also she does all of the work in the house. You know what I mean? Like Arthur doesn't do anything. We never see him wash a dish or help her in the kitchen. Well, maybe, no, I don't even think... In Grindle, Grit, oh God, whatever. In the fifth one, when they're all making uh, Christmas dinner and stuff, I think you see like Fred and George helping move the plates and stuff like that. But Arthur doesn't even do that. But also he's injured at that point. We don't really get a Weasley Christmas before that point. Darn it. We don't get enough. <laughs> yeah. Molly Molly does sort of seem from a different time in the context of the books. And I, I will say, I feel like Harry Potter does this a lot. Like, I don't know if J.K. Rowling was just, like, really a traditionalist or is really a traditionalist. I mean, we know she is in, like, gender dynamics, so I suppose it makes sense. But so, like, these books were written in the 90s. I don't understand why it's, like... Like, you're, like, yeah, I think she is very reminiscent of the 80s, which was a huge, huge return to conservatism in the United States. 
um, particularly, I can't speak as well to England, but I'm, I mean, we're, we're fairly interconnected. I'm sure it had an impact. Um, you know, this is Reagan's pre- uh, presidency. This is, yeah. this is women becoming like the model citizens of I feel like Thatcher is involved in, in England at that time. Yes. And I, and I'm but sure I'm that that sure. had <laughs> far reaching implications. Um, <laughs> but she's just like this homely woman who like does everything but is given no agency like she when she knows that the boys needs to be punished she like tells arthur and that even though and she's so uh deferential to this man who does nothing like he has a mid-level ministry job which is not a bad thing but you can't you know you i mean he's understaffed so his job is stressful in that aspect but it's not as if he's like exhausted from making decisions or he like works really really long hours or anything he has like a very normal nine to five job and then molly is left to do all the labor and all the emotional labor of her household um and he like refuses to lift a finger and so she's clearly the one in charge of their home life but then doesn't get to actually make the decisions which is such a weird thing to teach your children as well yeah yeah it really like, reminds me of all of those, like, 1950s t- style, like, TV shows, like, Father Knows Best and yeah. stuff like that. Not Father Knows Best, because I don't think there's a mother in that one. But there's, like, one, D- Donna Reed, I want to say. I don't know. I'm not sure. Because I didn't watch the ones that made me angry as a child. Dick Van Dyke all the way. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, like, the, like, oh, Jimmy did something wrong, and I think he needs to be punished, but I don't think he needs to be whipped by his dad, which is what he'll do. So I'll tell her his dad that he did something different, so he'll get a lesser punishment. Like, that's the kind of thing that, like, vibe that Molly gives, and that's not a fun vibe to have. Mm-hmm. And But then she's also depicted as a really angry woman. So it's a really weird mix you know like it's like she is this typical housewife doing everything yes arthur yes okay we'll do this but also pushing her point of view even though when people accept that point of view uh it is then like pushed aside that she's the one who came up with it yeah does that it does make sense it's like she somehow has no autonomy at all and yet is constantly being told she's too assertive because she's like hyper emotional. Mm-hmm. She's always the one crying and she's so, so silly for crying that her, you know, children almost died or something. And this is a person yeah. who has severe PTSD, already fought a war and lost two siblings. Like, of course, she's going to be emotional when her children and her husband and other people she cares about are put in danger. Um, she's so over. She steps over the boundary with Harry. She's so controlling with Bill's hair, like, all of these things. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, she's not allowed to actually make any parental decisions. Like, those are all left to Arthur. And, and her anger yeah. is definitely painted as monstrous, which is why we chose her as one of the women to discuss on this. Um, because she she's just seen as so unreasonable. And, like, she goes from zero to 100 at the tip of a hat. And, and instead of the book being empathetic and considering the amount of stress she's under, the fact that she has everybody's emotional labor, and this is a large household that's taking in extra people, the fact that 
they don't have very much money. They're very um, poor, a very poor family, so they're constantly having to worry about finances. Um, and they're living through a war that they already have PTSD from a previous war. Like, somehow she's unreasonable for being emotional about the well-being of these people. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, her reaction to Percy sort of leaving the nest is sort of like... Like, Ron and Harry and Fred and George, they all sort of hate Percy. They're like, why are you even crying about this? Why are you emotional about this? All just, like, write him off immediately. And she is super distraught because her child is now at the ministry working under this guy who she doesn't really trust and, and is, like, sort of being indoctrinated against her. So... All of her reactions are completely rational. Like, she is totally rational for being so upset about this. And it is completely discounted. And Arthur is also shown as being a little distressed on that uh, about that. But he's more, like, angry at Percy. Mm -hmm. She is seen as being, like distraught like she cries at the mention of his name and while Arthur gets angry and it's like both those are reasonable reactions but hers seems a little bit more reasonable to me you know like a more of a like you might get your kid back but then also why are your other kids hating on you for having this reaction yeah and, I mean, I'm going to say the word emotional labor again. It, of course, like, her reactions seem big because she's exhausted from doing everybody's yeah. work. Like, and, and this is really common. So there's, in the workforce, you work nine to five. And then it's like, good job, you completed your tasks for the day. You're done being a, being a working human being. The rest of the time is leisure time. So that's the life that Arthur lives. And his work takes place in one location, and his home life takes place in another. Sometimes you definitely have to work overtime. Sometimes your job is definitely stressful. Molly, on the other hand, is on a 24-hour schedule, seven days a yes. week, because she works in the same place that there is home. And when Arthur is having leisure time, there's actually a larger household to care for. So her work increases. And so the the duties that women traditionally do in a household are things that need to be done daily or weekly. And the things that men typically do might seem like, quote unquote, larger tasks, but they're done like once a month, once every couple months. So like mowing the lawn might take longer or seem like it involves more effort than doing a load of laundry. But not if you mow one lawn every few weeks versus having eight people, nine people's laundry and, you know, give or take at the Weasley household every day. And then in addition to that, for women, they do the emotional labor. And so that means when Ginny is crying because she was kidnapped by the Dark Lord, Molly's going to be the one playing therapist because they can't afford professional help. When Percy abandons the family and all of these toxic men are just angry about it, she's going to be the one grieving for him, actually thinking through how to get him back and trying to help the others work through the emotions and develop empathy. When Harry is a traumatized child and Ron says really insensitive things about how he hates his life being a poor person and he wishes he could be a rich orphan like Harry, Molly's probably going to be the one saying, hey, you shouldn't say that to your friend. His parents are dead. 
not super cool, bro. And when Fred and George seem to be making really bad life decisions and Arthur ignores it and thinks it's funny, she's going to be the one stepping in to try to counsel them in some way. So, yeah, she's probably going to have a shorter threshold than the rest of the household. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, just it's completely every, every reaction that she has is completely reasonable when you put put her in the context of her life. Also, while we were reading the description, I realized they probably do subsidence farming, you know? Like they have probably a garden where, that the so the gnomes mm-hmm. live somewhere. They live in the front garden. I'm assuming that she probably grows carrots and cabbages and beets and shit. You know, like a vegetable patch. Because it's a big family. Where do wizards go grocery shopping? Do you have to go to Diagon Alley every time? Or can she go to the muggle store? Who knows? We don't because JK doesn't give me that information. That is, like, really important for my world building. Whatever. Um, (laughs) like, there's so much work to do with that. Like, you were saying, oh, Arthur might have to mow the lawn once a month or something like that but if they have a garden that means that she has to go out there at minimum once a week to weed denome we've already been we've shown that that's important uh like and it's also hopeless so like she's just doing it constantly so the one chance that she has is just and she sends the boys to do it because it's her least favorite job it's like I, my parents have a big garden and they would be like, all right, go weed. Like that was what I was, I had to do if I was being really annoying, go weed. And that inevitably meant I cut down trees that I wasn't supposed to, but (laughs) it's, it's a job that has to be done around the house. And it, and she has magic that she's able to do a lot of things like, oh, she can the dishes can wash themselves because the magic that she has. And she's sort of um, acclaimed at being really good at household magic. But that doesn't mean there's no labor involved. Just because there's magic. Like, we see that it takes concentration to be able to complete a magical task. So she's putting all this brain effort on just just the daily tasks of running this house and then also going above and beyond as being a caring, loving mother with all yeah. of this emotional baggage of all of her children and her husband and, I'm sure, extended family. Yeah. And I think, too, like, I grew up with a stay-at-home mom, but I grew up in an equitable household. And that's entirely possible with one parent staying at home. So, like, when when there needed to be parenting involved, my mom was not the sole person doing it. My dad was also involved in our parenting. Um, also, it was, like, very crystal clear that my mom was the central authority figure in our life. She was around us more often. Um, she was, you know, had more experience parenting just because she was with us all the time. Um, and she was scarier than my dad. Still is. So, we... We knew that she was the final say. It wasn't this, like, patriarchal setup of my dad being the final stay. And then also, when my dad was home in the evenings, there was this recognition, like, yes, I'm just getting home from work, but also you've been working all day. Um, so now the things that are still left to do for our household, we're going to do together. So if there was still laundry mm-hmm. to do, or they were both involved in the cooking and the cleaning, and so, like, 
you can have an equitable household, which allowed my mom, like, time to relax and breathe just like my dad. And so when Mm -hmm. my mom was upset about something, she had way more energy and, like, emotional wherewithal left to have, like, right-sized reactions. You can't do that if you're constantly burnt out and traumatized. Yeah. 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 So this is definitely not like put, a like many a, like whatever related story to that, but I feel like I would be shouting out too many people that I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to talk a little bit about how she is shown to interact with other women in the books? Yeah, you mean like all of the negative relationships she has with Fleur, Hermione, and who else? Like probably Tonks. <laughs> I, I I was trying to think of other women that she interacts with, and Tonks came to mind. Yeah. And it's not like she had only negative reactions with her, but she doesn't. I don't know. She doesn't feel like she has a great relationship with her. No, and. And she is shown, like, forcing Tonks into a heteronormative relationship that doesn't seem to make anybody mm-hmm. happy. And I don't yeah. feel like that's good, you know? Because, okay, again, Lupin is gay. We all know this. Um, we've all accepted it. It's canon. I won't be told otherwise. <laughs> and, I mean, Tonks isn't exactly showing me that she's straight in the books, you know, so I just think Molly sees these two very odd people and is like, oh, you must be so sad alone. And then, like, shoves them forcibly together. One develops depression. The other abandons the family because he can't cope with the the idea of passing on this curse to a child. Like, Molly was not helpful in that situation. And I, I love Molly. I really, really do. She's one of my favorite characters. But she does give me the vibes of, like, the extended family member who's like, but why don't you have a boyfriend yet? And it's like, what about me yes. has indicated to you that I will ever get a boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, yeah, I completely agree. She is that, like, aunt who's like, oh, so where's your boyfriend tonight? It's like, uh, he doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and he never will, Molly. <laughs> and even like I feel like she's the person who who's like oh have you started dating anyone and I'm like I'm graduating college soon and she's like okay but like are you gonna die alone and it's like okay thank you I'm actually super happy <laughs> oh, but okay. I know that it's hard for you to see that <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah so I mean <laughs> then I like yeah like, then like her like she's like super loving with Hermione up until she thinks Hermione is dating Harry, and then why is she so angry about that? I really, really don't understand. And then Hermione, and then she's, I think, oh yeah, I do, because she thinks that Hermione is cheating on Harry with Crumb. Yeah. Molly, talk to your children. You have so many children that go to school with these kids. If you didn't want to ask Hermione directly or even her best friend Ron directly, ask Fred and George. 
ask freaking Ginny. She'll give you an honest answer. While Fred will, pro- Fred and George will probably mess with you and say, yes, it's all true and so much more. Um, <laughs> ask Ginny. Ginny will be like, yeah, mom, you're completely bully- buying into this bullshit. Like, it's complete nonsense. I can I talked to Hermione the other day. She's sort of is hanging out with Crumb, but he's more obsessed with her than she is him. Like, <laughs> I don't understand oh why she does why 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 does her why is she seeing like i think they just i think that jk just had to show someone believes rita skeeter and the only character that she in her mind thought that would be someone who would believe rita skeeter is the person who believed lockhart in the second book right so bring in molly weasley well, first of all, that was a perfect description of the Weasley children because, like, yeah, she wouldn't write to Runch. I think she knows he's not emotionally intelligent enough for that conversation. You could write to Fred <laughs> and George. They are emotionally intelligent enough, but they choose whether or not to behave seriously and use that said intelligence, depending on the situation. And they probably would just write about how Harry cries himself to sleep every night. Um... <laughs> And it's horrible, and that Hermione. And how would they even know? They don't even share a room. <laughs> but they they would convince you know her. Um, but yeah, so I mean that's hilarious. And then also Ginny would absolutely tell her the truth and would like know the whole situation. So that that would definitely be a good mm-hmm. option as well. She doesn't take those. Instead, she chooses to bully a child who she knows well. <laughs> And, like, has always yeah. respected and has a, a standing relationship with. And I just, I think J.K. Rowling really, really does think that women don't get along. Like, I don't know if she doesn't have mm-hmm. good female friendships and didn't receive good female mentorship in her life. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's true based on the way she writes women. Because, like, Hermione doesn't have girlfriends. Hermione has boyfriends because she's a smart girl who hangs out with boys instead of girls because she can't handle the drama. And even yeah. Ginny is, like athletic and like her friends are more shown to be like dean thomas um and some other people she's not like other girls right now she likes yeah like the women that are respected are not like other girls and so they can't talk to other girls because lavender brown Mm -hmm. and parvati and miss weasley exist to be made fun of yep yeah molly is like other girls but then she's also not like other girls because she's still hanging out with all of these not like other girls which is it's hmm, i don't like i don't like it i don't like it either don't like it, it it sort of feels like um like jk rowling had trouble with molly because she does position her as a as like a good character because she had to she's part of the weasley family but she's created this world where, like, the Hermione and Ginny types wouldn't fall into that super maternal role that she does position as less than. So it's like, oh, what do I do with her? I guess I just have to keep making her the butt of the joke because she has to exist in this positive light. But she's a mother, so she, like, is a regular girl, so she can't be respected, which is so fucked. Yeah. 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 Um, um, the last woman she interacts oh, with do we want in to a talk negative about Fleur? way. Yeah, oh, yeah, let's that's do what that. you were saying. Sorry, I just completely interrupted you <laughs> introducing <same> Flair. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a lot so about this last... in the episode on Fleur. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Um, 
Which you all have listened to. Oh, what I said earlier is wrong. You've listened to more than just Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter just came out when we were recording this, so I was confused. You've heard the Floor episode. You've heard the Trelawney episode. <laughs> we're nearing the end. You guys are experts. Oh, yeah. You, Jeez. Well, I shouldn't say you guys. You've you people heard so are experts. Much. Um, <laughs> yes, so <laughs> Mrs. Weasley has a very negative relationship with Fleur because Fleur, like, puts all this time into her appearance and seems very uppity. And I feel like it's positioned as if this, like, threatens Molly. And so she's, like, she, she's, she tells everybody else that it's silly because she feels threatened by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in this way, she gets to, like, side with the Hermione Ginny types. Because Fleur is, like, again, mm-hmm. another type of unacceptable woman. Um, and it, and it, it is strange how, like, who's on the out shifts a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't cover it a I, lot on, on the Fleur episode, but it, it's just infuriating. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like we ended with the Fleur episode saying that Fleur sort of ends up being like Molly, you know? Like, by the by the end of her arc, she is the Molly type in the bill, in her household type thing. She, yeah. But, yeah. um... And then the fact that Molly hates her so much or, like, is so mean to her at when at first, I feel like it really goes in with, the like, the mother of the bride stereotype or mon- what is that? What's that really bad movie with J-Lo and Jane Monster Fonda? Monster-in-law? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what she is to Fleur. And... But I have not watched that movie, so I don't know how it ends. But let's assume that at the end they realize that they're very alike, and <laughs> and the the reason it, that they guess. hated each other. Yeah, I feel like that that's a really good guess for what happened in that movie. I that I have not seen, just watched the like trailer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say that J Lo and Jane Fonda end up being really similar, and that's why they hated each other the whole time. They bond over picking the same dress, uh, <laughs> and I feel like that's Fleur and Molly. They bond over like, oh, you still like Bill, and also here's this beautiful tiara that's been in my family forever, but is also made out of made from goblin labor and probably belongs to them. Technically, whatever. Um. Yeah. <laughs> They're still old money white people. It's it's only going to get so good. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but also sort of on Fleur, like we also see Fleur's mom, who I don't think has a first name. I think she's just Madame Delacour, whatever. Uh, <laughs> she... Uh, it is like sort of shown with Molly being like, "Ooh, I think you're really talented in this house magic, like household magic. Can you show me a th- few things, and I'll show you a few things." Type thing. And I wish we had a little bit more with her, um, enough to have her first name at, le- at least. Um, like I wanted to see what what is that French household magic that's so different than Molly's that's gonna revolutionize the way that she washes dishes or something like that. I want to know. Have some have some Molly bonding moment. She has no friends in this. <laughs> yeah, it would be really nice to see a conversation between Molly and someone else who took everything she cares about equally as seriously as she did. Mm-hmm. Um. 
because we don't get that and even if you want to read it generously and want to like put the love and care into reading molly as we do the heroes of the book like hermione um you're still going to have to forego and rework and headcanon your way through that because she's not respecting yeah. the books it would have been so nice to just get a canon conversation between two women whose whole job is caring for others and like talking about how they can do that better yeah yeah i feel like the conversation with her and tonks comes close to that but it is just her manipulating tonks yeah or trying to well yeah <laughs> um that that feels like a good place to kind of launch into the next section Okay, it is time to talk about how the general fandom views the matriarch of the Weasley family. To say the least, doing this research was incredibly distressing. Yes, while we know that this is not everyone's view, because cough, cough, there's two people without that view right here, uh, when we <laughs> look through fan fiction or opinion articles about Mrs. Weasley, or Ms. Weasley, it's overwhelmingly <laughs> negative. Yeah, it was really frustrating to just scour the internet and only see terrible things about her. Um, that being said, we're not going to perpetuate harmful slander against women, even fictional ones. So we're not going to discuss a specific work of fan-generated fiction this week. Yeah, but if you have like a piece of fan fiction about Molly that you absolutely love, please send it our way because we would love to see her in a better light. Because, like, we really did look, and everything would, like, start off okay, and then it would just go downhill really fast and be like, oh, oh, we're just leaning into all the stereotypes. One, fun, 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 fun. Love it. Well, one of yeah. the problems I have seen in fix is that, yeah, yeah, they lean in. Sorry, I'm, like, now reading the part that I wrote when I basically just summed it <laughs> up. But, yeah, they... <laughs> <laughs> they like all the fix lean into the housewife and uh being fun but angry redhead stereotype that jk modeled molly after so it's a really easy thing to fall into but it's not it's still not cool um so instead we're gonna be trying to understand where these feelings come from and then like try and reimagine things a little bit you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, you, you know the drill. Um, <laughs> so first, what is your opinion of Miss Weasley or Mrs. Weasley, however you choose to categorize her? Um, because I was surprised when I stumbled onto the internet and saw how negative it is. Yeah, yeah, I was shocked. It's like, and I don't think that all the authors were trying to fall into the stereotypes. But it's like, yeah, I, I always pictured Molly young or her current middle-aged whatever motherhood self or any version. She was this feisty young woman um, who wanted things and got them and what she wanted was a family with arthur weasley and it also she did everything that she could to keep that family together and she was extremely strong doing so 
So then you go into these fanfics expecting to see this strong woman and then be sort of like a play on Lavender Brown and as she is in the books, which we've talked about in the Trelawney episode, is very cringy at times. Um, like, I just don't see where that matches up. It does, And then also that they would go, oh, she's really angry. I saw a lot of, like, oh, she's, like, the abusive person in the relationship between her and Arthur. And then, like, she's, like, this crazy mom type. I, I just... It's really upsetting. Yeah, it, it was really upsetting. And as we've said, it caught us off guard. I think I always saw Molly as like the heart of the entire main cast. Mm, cast isn't the right word. Yeah, yeah, but all yeah. The, like the heart of all the main characters. Um, because like I would, if, if you were like, who is Harry's support system? I would immediately be like, well, Ron and Hermione. But then of course, Molly and like, Molly adopted him into the Weasleys. I don't think I could, like, describe Harry's relationship with Arthur. I don't even feel like he takes a fatherly role in Arthur's life. But, like, Molly definitely takes a maternal role in her life. In his life, I mean. Um, From, like, just caring for him as a child. Like, seeing someone in need and bringing them in. To, um, to giving him that watch when he turned 17. That was one of her, her you know deceased so brothers sweet. and so molly has this like really central like she's the beating heart of the books to me and so to see that she was like torn apart was so confusing and you're right even when it wasn't intentional even though like to be fair there was a, a fair amount of like aggressive oh yeah aggressive yeah. feelings towards her um it was like still just like bad it was just like gen like misogyny like what we get from rolling um and in some cases worse which is you know it's a low bar already um yeah but yeah it was crazy and it really really took me to, by surprise how prominent classism is in the way that people view her like people mm-hmm. love to hate women but people also love to blame poor people for their situation yeah yeah it's like it falls into the same thing like the criticisms that the Malfoys have against the Weasleys it's like oh well the reasons you're so poor is because you had seven children why did you choose to have seven children like don't you know there's wizard birth control which I'm sure there's probably something like that some really like (laughs) well I feel like I saw like some meme that's like oh yeah wizard birth control it's a spell called fetus deletus (laughs) (laughs) Magic abortions. I feel like that would be so convenient. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's where she like she's really pushed in on the yeah. Like I, I don't know. That feels. I, I don't know. I feel like I don't want to say that. Never mind. Back up. Back up. Back up. You say things. <laughs> I, I'm trying to, like, articulate an intelligent, like, insightful thought about classism and how the readers view the Weasleys, but I can't because I don't understand it, and I think that this is part of, like, being American readers reading English books, because classism is really different in the States. Like, in the States, I, so I grew up in the South, I'll speak for that, um, like being middle class is the goal and not upper middle class because then you're still kind of seen as like too hoity-toity but being like 
not struggling but firmly middle class like you're not lazy you worked for what you need but you're not rich because you're not one of those people with like bad values and like um unnecessary stuff like you're still one of the good old people who like worked for what you had like blue collar and all that and I'm not saying that any of that's bad I mean I'm I'm voting for a move out of capitalism where we all end up somewhere along middle class um well class wouldn't exist but that's not what we're here to talk about what we're here to talk about (laughs) is that in England class is class is like really still firmly established and is a central social issue it definitely is also a central social issue in America but it's more underground and it's more ingrained in things but it's so different for the English like there is like legit class um yeah like you can tell what class people are in by the sound of their voice yes yeah exactly and we I don't feel like we have that in the states not in the part where I grew up um you could speak to yours because we grew up in very different areas um but yeah like there are like sometimes if you grew up on the farm you're gonna have a weird twang but then sometimes farmers are rich as fuck like that doesn't mean anything like I have an uncle that's a garbage man Uh, they own a garbage company they the land that they own is they have too much money um yeah like you yeah jobs do not make class in america like you can have the dirtiest job in the world but that does not make what what class you are i feel like you know what i mean like um and that was so weird because like people hate the weasleys for being poor and that's so strange to me yeah, yeah, and then also that they come from a family, like a high class, basically wizarding family, a pure blood family, so they're sort of looked on as, looked down on because they are poor, but yet they are of a, a pure blood family. So like they're this weird mix of both being lower class and upper class, but but not either of them because they're they're in between worlds um i feel like fleur's bill and fleur's wedding really shows that how that they have all this pull in all of these different families that are like all in all these like wealthy well-connected people come to this wedding it's like the the weasleys are connected they are high class they are in this in this uh, upper echelon of people they just don't have the funding to go with it yeah i think that brings up an interesting um intersection of class and race because being a poor white person you still have a lot of power and being a, a formerly rich white family you have even more because Yeah, so, like, they can't really afford an extravagant wedding. They still get an extravagant wedding because of the community that they're a part of and the extended family. Additionally, they still have a priceless stolen artifact as a central part of their wedding. Yeah, heirlooms. In Fleur's tiara. Yeah, exactly, an heirloom. Um, That is stolen from a marginalized group of people. And, like, It's just so interesting because what would make sense for the Weasleys is to recognize by their own poverty the effect of marginalization, how awful the blood system is, how useless having that amount of money is, and then invest in looking into the rest of the wizarding world and seeing, like, 
what where the problems are. Instead, we get comments like, I wish we could afford a house slave, and oh, this is a beautiful goblin-made tiara that's been in our family for generations. And there's no critical thinking around those two groups, the goblins and elves, um, in what their position is, and the Weasleys don't like take any sort of critical look at that because their whiteness still blinds them to it. And I think they still yeah. look at themselves as like good white people, but still very much yes, white yes, people. yes, yes. And it it's just like, and and we see Hermione's an outsider, right? So she did grow up mm-hmm. with money. Her parents are dentists, but she comes into this world and she's like, oh, like the Wizarding World doesn't have social justice. Like nobody's speaking out against these really outdated things. Um, and, like, they still have slavery and things like this. Um, and, like, there's this huge disparity between who's allowed to have a wand and who's not. And so Hermione, like, does think critically about those things. Um, again, white woman doesn't do the best job, doesn't really consult the people. It's somewhat played for laughs. So I'm not at all stating that Hermione's this yeah. great activist. But it, it just is an interesting intersection of class and race because the government has a vested interest in keeping us divided but if we would just look for ourselves and see that like oh all poor people actually have a lot in common and it makes sense for us to group together and not be divided by race we would be in a lot better position yeah thank you for coming to my ted talk (laughs) i i was thinking about um the part where ron and hermione have to explain to harry why they're coming with him to hunt horcruxes and he's like, well, you guys should go back to school. And they're like, well, no, they're first they're going to be asking Muggleborns to sign up and report themselves. Then it's, um, oh, my God, half half bloods. Is that right? That feels very Percy Jackson. Um, me mom's a witch. No, me is. dad's a muggle. Those those people. <laughs> Quite a shock. They're going to be found out. <laughs> Yeah. That wasn't an Irish accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was like a bad English Mine accent. wasn't either. It's a Seamus accent. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like then, so it's pure, it's muggle-born, then half-bloods, and then Ron's is like, yeah, and then after that, they're going to have to go after us purebloods that are no better than the muggleborns that and that includes him and then i'm guessing tonks tonks's family of the lestrade or side of the lestrade and i guess the long family tree uh, oh and the long bottoms but it's but like, i don't fuck ron know if that would have happened <laughs> it wouldn't um, have it absolutely would not have <laughs> it probably i mean i think it would have somewhat gone to the half blood stage but it's so, like, that is the thing about the Weasleys, is they're so stuck on, like, things that affect them, and that fanfic mm-hmm. did a good job of it that we talked about with Fleur, of, like, um, oh, no, like, the registry's so sad, and then Fleur's like, yeah, eventually I'll be on it, and Bill's like, no, 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 I wouldn't have married someone who's gonna end up on the registry. Like, there's still that fucked yeah, up thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, Bill, you are now a little bit werewolf, you're gonna be on that registry, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, and your children will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that fanfic was so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I just want to mention is like we we hope that this podcast has real world implications and benefits, and one of them is like 
like Quinn and I are two white people having this conversation. We only are smart enough to say these things because we have practiced listening to people of color. Please, if you are interested in activism, if you don't want to be this type of white person in the world and you want to learn how to leverage your, um, your privilege, you have to listen to people of color. Read the books that they write, watch the TikToks that they make, support them on social media. It's like super simple. It's already the things that you're doing. Listen to podcasts by BIPOC people. They will have better takes than us. Um, And then come back here and you can hear us make fools of ourselves. But just please do that because that's that's the difference between the Weasleys and people actually leveraging change in the world. Yes. Yeah. So just a PSA for you. (laughs) I feel like I've gone on Um, the most intense tangents in this episode. Oh, I know. Like, freaking sandwiches. Um, <laughs> I might have to get a Reuben tomorrow. Um, but, <laughs> so, what else do we want to talk about with Molly? So, do you want to talk about the erasure of her trauma? How about the fact that she had brothers that were never mentioned in the freaking book? What? Yes! How about the fact that she has no internal life whatsoever? Ugh! The only peek we get into her internal life is the Bogart, Bogart, and it's like, Bogart, Bogart, whatever, Bogart. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then it's just like, uh, just like reestablishing the trauma that we already knew that she was going through. She's scared that her family's going to die. Yeah, we all are, friend. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's not, like, a specific fear. We don't get a super strong illusion that that, like, ties into the fact that she's already lived through a war. Um, So it seems like she was in high school during the first Wizarding War. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because is she supposed to be younger than Harry? I guess she's supposed to be younger than Harry's parents um, by a few years. That's super weird. I'm like looking it up right now. Please do. Because when I watch the movies, I think of Sirius as being younger than Molly. Maybe that's my own like internalized thing because Molly has a family and Sirius does not have a nuclear family. So like mentally I would place him as younger. Um, But that's not necessarily accurate. Thinking through it, I think the Marauders are older than them. Okay, so Molly was born on either October 30th, 1949, or 1950. And Arthur was born on February 6th of 1950. So, I don't know when um, the Potters were born. But then... (laughs) So I'm either they so are of the same year in Hogwarts or they are a year apart in Hogwarts. And it's really annoying that we don't know for sure. Thank you, Harry Potter Wiki. Um, <laughs> okay, so Sirius was born in 1959. So Sirius is Okay, so they're about a, like, a, um, like a class, whatever, like a whole, what, so nine years apart. But that doesn't make sense because... Molly says that she is in high school when her brothers die, and her brothers died during the first Wizarding Ward, 
that James and Lily and um, Sirius and Lupin were at the, like, forefront of. Or am I incorrect on that? Well, how long was the first Wizarding War? That's what I just looked it up. Uh, it was 11 years. So it started in 1970 and ended in, in 1981. That still okay, doesn't well, that make actually sense. does make sense. Does it? How, but, how well, old would she James be? Well, in... like, James and Lily die really like sh- uh, quickly into the war, right? Because like, that's when Voldemort goes away. Is because he kills them. That's like his last thing, right? And they're like, what, 20? Yeah, but in 1970, when the war started, if Molly was born in 1949 or 1950, she would be 20 or 21. So out of school. So she definitely wasn't in high school when her brothers died. Whoever, like, I guess Rowling's incorrect about that shockingly um I know, but right? so like she she, but she's older than them yeah that's so surprising i hate that her history isn't light or whatever her backstory isn't nailed down and we have like a concise thing of what's going on um yeah yeah so she had a family and two brothers at least and they were killed hurrah yeah. Okay. Crap. We and, know that she, she had like twelve prominent... grandchildren, though. <laughs> and she was a prominent member of the order the first time around, and we don't get any of that. And that's and we do for some of the other male characters. Like we we don't really with Arthur either, but we know so intimately like how James, Sirius, Lupin, and Peter like found themselves in the war. And like, yes, I am bringing up the Marauders again. I'm gonna continue to do it. And we just know so well. Okay, like, so their Molly stories. would have already had kids during the wi- wi- first Wizarding War. Charlie per- and Percy were already born, or no, Bill. Bill was born in 1970, so she was a young mother at that time. So she was like sort of the like when when Lily was uh, pregnant, she would have been like already had like four kids running around her. So she was already sort of in the role that she is in the later books of being sort of the mother of the order. Yeah, that's interesting. I that was in her early twenties. Wow, she started having babies young. That's scary. Um. (laughs) I live a very different life than Molly Weasley, and I I don't fully understand hers, but I respect it. Yep, yep, gotta respect it. (laughs) Oh, okay, Uh, her brothers uh, were members of the Order, but were murdered during the war by five Death Eaters. Jesus, five of them. Uh, In 1981, including Anton Dollehoff, who was then imprisoned for the crime. So only one person was in prison for this crime? Jesus. Well, Gideon and Fabian rest in power. Um... (laughs) Molly was distraught by her, his death. Their death. Shout out to them. Of course he was. But she kept Fabian's brooch. Of course, yeah, we know that. Okay. And then afterwards, Fred burnt a hole in Ron's tongue with an acid pot. I remember that coming up. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Are there any? What else do you want to cover? Um. I don't know. I don't know. We already yelled at uh, yelled at it about Sirius and the difference between her and mm-hmm. Sirius and how she was always in the mm-hmm. right. Um, we did that immediately too. Like as soon as it was mentioned, we had to deal with it right then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, got to do that sometimes. So, how much do we excuse Molly's actual problematic behavior as being Rowling's fault rather than accept it as part of her character? That is so complicated. It's like separating the art from the yes. artist. It's mm, that's the whole. Pro- that's, I was feeling that's ambitious the challenge. when I wrote that prompt. <laughs> yeah, since you wrote it, do you have an answer? <laughs> um, I think I do, and I'm going to start saying it, and I might change my mind as I go. But I think I do want to take out the misogyny, like um. Like, I don't think the Molly Weasley that I know and, like, lives in my heart would... That sounds like she's, like, Jesus to me. But uh, I don't think the <laughs> Molly Weasley that I accepted to live into my heart and, and walks with me everywhere I go would bully Hermione because she read that sleazy article. I'm not saying Molly Weasley doesn't love her some Rita Skeeter. I'm just saying Molly yeah. Weasley has the critical thinking skills that would keep her from bullying a child. Um. Mm-hmm. On and the she other would instead hand, write some her of the daughter. problematic. You know, <laughs> Molly and Ginny are close, so absolutely, your idea of her consulting Ginny, perfect to fix that situation. That's the Molly I know. However, there is some problematic stuff I do want to leave in that she does. Like, um, I like that the Weasleys are this example of like a white family who sees themselves as good, but it's too, but overly identify with their whiteness, and so like that causes problems. And I would like there to be some sort of discussion in the book. That would require there being BIPOC characters. But there would be some discussion in the book around, like, their behavior. Yeah. Apparently that's too much to ask for this series. So I think I want to erase the internalized misogyny. But I'm not interested in making Molly perfect. I think she's interesting, complex, um, and, like, has her own issues and has things to work through. Like, that's a good character. Yeah, like, I, as much as I yelled at JK for making the kids hate um, everything that Molly likes, like Lockhart and the band name that I can never remember the name of, and Rita Skeeter, I think that's sort of a really important part of her character, and the fact that her kids don't like that, that happens... Ev- that happens every generation type thing. Kids don't like the same things of their parents. And I think that's a really fun thing mm. to show. But also, like you said, she wouldn't be someone just reading and believing everything that Rita Skeeter says. She would be doing some critical thinking. Also, with the Lockhart stuff, if she's reading it and following what he's saying and it's not working... I'm assuming that she will not continue doing what he says. Um, but we don't see that. We just see that she's following his rooms for denoming, which is pick up the gnome and throw the gnome away. Which seems, I don't know if that would work, because you're trying to be sort of humanely disposing of these living magical creatures. You'd have to rehome them. Rehome the gnomes! <laughs> Petition to rehome the gnomes. 
Hermione's next project. It would be, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, her her thing with Lockhart, I think, is maybe, maybe the most complicated, because my instinct is to be like, cut that storyline, like, Molly wouldn't blindly just think someone's, like, smart because they're attractive, like, that's stupid, and, like, it's just misogynistic, and the way it's written is misogynistic, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, honestly, like, let women buy the covers with the shirtless men when they shop Mm -hmm. for romance novels, and, like, it's super badass that you read that in public, like, go off, that's fucking funny and really cool that you like have that much confidence in yourself i just want that version of it of like when the boys roll their eyes or when people like have an issue with it for her to just be like kindly fuck off you're my child so i probably won't say it that way but like i like what i like and i'm allowed to enjoy things and like i'm still a human being even though i'm your mother or have it so that when the kids look through that book it's like everything's crossed out and rewritten so that it actually works, just like um, the Half so Prince book. And it's like, yeah, I like this book for the pictures, not for the information. I can do that myself. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh my god, it's that's organized cool. well. <laughs> I feel like we've kind of started on our on our feminist corner. I know. Do you want to just officially move <laughs> over? We're always move, in that corner. Over? It's the whole, like, house. That's true. <laughs> we, we've made our home there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, now, like, do you want to, like, really make our home <laughs> and discuss Let's what do we it. want her representation to really look like? <laughs> Ideal fanfic coming up. Yeah, let, let's do that. So, I mean, I think the first thing we want is take away her poor treatment of other women. We mentioned this in the last yeah. segment, but just, like, the entire, you know, storyline of her disliking Fleur and, like, assuming that she's shallow because she puts effort into her appearance. We're just cutting that. We're cutting the nope. weird thing that she has where she forces Tonks into mm-hmm. a toxic relationship, bullying Hermione. It's all a no. Yep, yep. They can still talk at that time. Like, we can still have those conversations, like, conversations between those characters at that same point in the book, but they're going to be talking about different things, and those things do not include men, so that the thing can pass the Bechtel test. Now the tornado siren is full-on going. Do you hear that? If you continue... No, I don't hear it. (laughs) The tornado siren is going on outside, just so you know... If I get picked up by a tornado in the course of this podcast, I died doing what I loved. Um. (laughs) Consider ourselves warned. Yeah, I'm extremely warned. It's my third warning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another thing is I want to make it like more clear in the books that Ron's perception of his neglect at Molly's hand is his own insecurity. Because we see that he and Percy have that issue where they feel like they're overseen and, like, not loved and all that bullshit. But the other children don't. Like, we know that Ginny doesn't feel that way. Fred and George are the only one who, like, outwardly express it and are like, Ron, put the fucking homemade sweater on. Like, yeah, it's maroon, but, like, 
she picked her color before you were born like just put it on she has you know eight eight or seven children like we're gonna run out of yarn at some point um and I just want that to be more obvious because so so much of the fandom like does paint her as a bad mom and so clearly it wasn't clear in the books that this is just how kids see their parents like Ron just has middle child syndrome yeah yeah Ron has that like really bad and Percy has it a bit too because he was the middle child for a while before Ron showed up and became the new baby turned middle child yeah and he he was not loving it Mm -mm. um yeah yeah I want to see Ron like full-on appreciate his mother especially like I want him to eat that corned beef sandwich and be like hey Harry you want to try it or if he doesn't like the corned beef sandwich offer it to Harry be like hey my mom made me this it's not my fave but you just bought all this stuff and I'm going to be munching off of it. Would you like to try my corned beef sandwich? And Harry would have it and be like, this is the most amazing sandwich I've ever had. How could you not like it? So then Ron would have another bite of it and be like, oh, I guess I got to try this because this boy who lives said that it's okay. And he would, boom, it would click to him that corned beef sandwiches are amazing. And how could I ever thought otherwise? I am going to turn you into a meat eater just for a corned beef sandwich. <laughs> You didn't know that this episode was just going to be a long-standing campaign in honor of <laughs> corned beef sandwiches. Um, yeah, I it's think... the only sandwich I, I feel strongly I'm, I'm about. S- that's so fascinating. <laughs> um, I Honestly, I'm, I'm probably still not going to eat meat, but I do like your idea of having it's Ron okay. actually appreciate his mother. <laughs> I think that's actually really important and even if he doesn't at 11 we know him through him being 17 like show Mm -hmm. some growth can't he appreciate molly by book six or seven i know i really thought when i was a kid i thought ron was gonna end up being like a foodie and be like sort of the cook of the group like when they went camping he's gonna be like roasting marshmallows and like here's my artisanal hot dog it's delicious i thought that's what he was like what was gonna happen but of course cooking is for girls um in jk's world so that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it would make sense with Molly being his mother. Like, she is, like, all about, like, showing love and affection through food. I don't understand why Ron, one, never learns how to reciprocate. like Or, like, never n- learns how to, like, show that he's enjoying that love. Um, he's all about food when he gets to Hogwarts. He's literally constantly eating. Um, but <laughs> he can't tell his mom that she made an awesome birthday cake for his best friend that she really had no need to do. Like, I... Yeah. Imagine if he had helped her make that birthday cake. Ah! <laughs> that would have been really just... adorable. And it would have made me not hate Ron, which would have been fun for exactly. me. Exactly. Exactly. You could fix, you could help Molly, give Molly a better life while fixing the character of Ron. But. It's a no. win-win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I would also really like to see her relationship with Harry be more 
uh, legitimized because it's so frustrating that like all the time and love that she put into this child not that she's doing it to get anything out of it but just it should be like appreciated and reciprocated from Harry's end it, it like gets thrown to the wolves in you know book four when uh, Sirius and especially book five when Sirius becomes a serious parental contender and, like, why yeah. is it such a reductionist view of, like, oh, I was a pseudo-Weasley, but now that I have Sirius, I can, like, make my own family. When chosen family is, like, a beautiful thing and a definitely a necessary thing in Harry's life, and he could have Molly as his mother still and, like, be a part of the Weasleys and, like, have that environment, and Sirius could join him in that because it's not as if Sirius has a family anymore. I mean, you know... He has Remus, obviously, and they love each other, but there's a lot of trauma there. I'm guessing it's not an easy relationship. And they could use the Weasleys as, like, a mentor. And then Harry could have his two gay dads and the Weasleys. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, like, I feel like Molly's, like, mother hen wings were open to ready and ready to accept serious into the Weasley family and be like, all right, here, I have a spot with you for you right next to Harry. You're still going to be that really strong, like emotional bond between you guys, but you're also going to be connected to all of us. But I feel like the person who rejected that was serious. Serious didn't want to be like invited to the Weasley's house for Christmas. Uh, like he didn't want to have yeah. those extra bonds, it seems. And then that, of course, causes issues for Harry because he's the child in this relationship who needs a state, like who needs a family. Um, and it just not all of those people wanted that as well. Like I, I don't think there is a convert. Maybe in the fifth book, but I like. There should have been more conversations between Harry and Sirius about, like, here's the logistics of my life here. Would you like to stay here? If you're staying here, here's how it works. And, yeah, it sucks. Because, sorry, Sirius's life sucks. So, if... (laughs) I would, like, if, if it was Harry's choice to stay with the Dursleys over Sirius, I feel like it would just add that extra dimension. But that's not even at the conversation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Molly. But, like... (laughs) Yeah. I think you're right in that it was Sirius's rejection of, like, being a part of this larger family. I think it would have ruined his sad boy aesthetic, and he was, like, really Mm -hmm. committed to keeping it, so he couldn't accept that offer. And you're right, like, Harry ends up getting the brunt of that, which is sad, because they both needed that support. Mm -hmm. And I've, like, seen, like, the, like, fan fiction or headcanons or whatever... Especially, I think, on, like, Tumblr, there was one that was, like, the screenshot was getting, like, posted everywhere for a while about, like, um, when, which of the twins dies? Fred? When Fred dies and goes to heaven, he meets Lily, and Lily's just like, oh, I, I, I'll be your mother for a while because your mom took care of my son for a while. And it's like, ah, like, oh, no, this is My God. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard that before, but I'm gonna. You haven't? Right oh my now. god! It's the most like Stop. emotional Tumblr post. Tumblr post. <laughs> Tumblr creators are a different breed. Like that is so sad <laughs> and beautiful. 
oh my god <laughs> like I knew where it was going and I immediately got emotional before you even finished what you were saying yep as soon as it's Fred goes to heaven you're like no why <laughs> oh my god I love uh, it okay yeah Wrapping it up, is there anything else that you would would change or you feel like is important in Molly's feminist depiction? Um, I want... I either want an origin story for Molly and Arthur's relationship or I want Arthur to participate in the household and and the family. I want him to yeah. father some children, actually, without, like, it's not, like, one and done. Like, no. Discipline your children. Yeah. It's not always your, your, your wife's responsibility. I think those are both essential. Like, I want to see, I want to know that Arthur knows how to do laundry. I think that's exactly. an important Ooh, thing for me. That's, that is a great way yeah. to say it. He not he might not do um, it all the yeah. time, but he knows how to do it when it's needed. And again, like they both worked all day when Arthur gets home. He's not the only one getting off of work. They then need to share the remaining responsibilities. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And and yeah, she definitely deserves some sort of context and backstory. Like we get mm-hmm. a lot of flashbacks. Dumbledore has that whole Pevensey. Is that what it's called? No, that's not what it's called. Pensive. What is it called? Right? Pensive. Is it pensive? Yes. Yeah. You're right. Pevensey is a last name. Um, yeah. I don't remember whose, though. But he has the pensive. There's got to be some stuff about Molly in there. Like, that's Harry's pseudo-mom. He he deserves to know about her, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why'd we spend oh so much God, time Oh, my God. What if it Snape? was, like, the flashbacks with, like, like Slughorn? He was given multiple different like memories from Slughorn when Slughorn was drunk giving him that thing. So maybe he like slipped in some other memories of when he taught the Weasleys or the future Weasleys in school because he would have been the same teacher. But nope, nope. It was very simple. The drunk man was able to pinpoint exactly what memory that he wanted to give this strange child who was asking whatever. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) all right well i think that's the perfect way to wrap this up and and talk about what we want to take away so quinn yeah you know the drill what are you emulating Mm -hmm. from molly weasley I feel like the easy answer is her, like, mothering insect. (laughs) Her mothering insects. Yes. Molly. Yeah. Mother of all insects. Um, (laughs) The thing she's known for. (laughs) She's the only female character that's not described like a bug, and she's the mother of insects. Uh, um no yeah <laughs> sorry um <laughs> that got me um yeah her mothering instincts i think are the like greatest thing to take away from with her but also i want 
her emotional, not vulnerability, but I guess her emotional resources and her like fortitude in that in that mm-hmm. stance. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't break down until the fifth book. She's been through so much. She should have broken down as soon as like Harry got accepted into the Triwizard Tournament. Things are going bad. Yeah. She can see the signs. Like I feel like, or not, I said she broke down in the fifth book. She broke down like the seventh book, really. Like she should have had these emotional, like whatever. She should have had emotional outbursts far before that, and she didn't because she's a strong person, and I love her. Um, yeah, I I don't know exactly. So yeah, I want her strength. That's what I want. Just I love in general, that answer. not a specific strength. All of her strength. I shall sap it from her. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's an underrated quality of hers, but she's got a lot on her shoulders, and it's very admir- ad- admirable. I forgot how to say that word. It's very admirable how she handles all of it. Um, I think I'm taking away her confidence because she likes what she likes, and it's not like she's not smart enough to realize what everybody's saying about it. Like, she hears the jokes and the snide remarks, and she does not care. And she continues on enjoying what she enjoys openly and even forces other people to partake in it. Um, and that's something I'm learning to get better at. So I'm going to yeah. keep drawing from Molly. <laughs> yeah, love it. I feel like you're going to do that with certain episodes of this podcast down the line. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. Force you to read it and understand why it's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) The Monstrous Woman podcast is co-hosted by Quinn Albert and Megan Peterson. Produced and edited by Megan Peterson. And our social media is run by Quinn Albert. Follow us on Instagram at the Monstrous Woman Pod. We will link all our socials, our Patreon, and our Redbubble store below if you would like to see more from us. Also, you can email us at themonstrouswomanpod at gmail.com to share your thoughts. The thunder is coming in with the tornado, so right after this closes, the storm will start. But cover art <laughs> is by Tyler Peterson. <laughs> We are distributed by Anchor. And thank you for listening. Oh no, is that a twister coming my way? Ah! Probably not. The tornado siren stopped, so I think I'm in the clear. For the making of this episode, we pulled from Oh Witch Please, a wonderful podcast hosted by Hannah and Marcel. And Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, another amazing podcast hosted by Vanessa and Matt. The links for all of these texts will be in the show notes.